0: It is often the little things that reveal the greatness of a person's true character. Welcome to On My Walk, the reading podcast that helps you capture reading's aha moments and apply them to your life and leadership. Today I want to talk about the page-turner, but first let me set the context. The date was Wednesday, July 17, 1945, And the new president, Harry S. Truman, was in Potsdam, Germany, at a meeting of the Big Three. Prime Minister Winston Churchill, Secretary General of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, Joseph Stalin, and the new president of the United States himself, Harry Truman. Truman had only taken office three months earlier. Prior to that, he was a relatively unknown senator from Missouri, And then the surprise vice presidential candidate, whom FDR picked when he ran for and won his fourth term in office. A term that lasted only from January 20, 1945 to April 12, 1945, when FDR died of a massive cerebral hemorrhage in Warm Springs, Virginia. So here's Truman, and he's thrust onto the world stage, and the official White House biography of Truman says this, very telling. During his few weeks as vice president, Harry Truman scarcely saw President Franklin Roosevelt and received, get this, no briefing on the development of the atomic bomb or the unfolding difficulties with Soviet Russia. And suddenly, these and a host of other wartime problems became Truman's to solve when on April 12, 1945, he became America's 33rd president. So the war with Germany ended on May 7, 1945, when Germany officially surrendered to the Allies. But the war with Japan continued, and consequently the big three, Stalin, Churchill, and now Truman, met in Potsdam, Germany to hammer out a few issues, most notably Germany's post-war status and the boundaries that would now make up Germany, and whether or not Russia would stay true to their word from the February Yalta Conference, and join the Allies in their fight against Japan. So here's Harry Truman, the new guy, the person that a lot of people didn't know would even be able to handle it, and he's meeting Churchill and Stalin for the first time. And Stalin, probably to show his importance, arrives a day late to the conference with, with no notice whatsoever that he's going to be late. And he's quiet, and he's gruff. And Churchill, at 70 is windy and not particularly prepared. And the event starts out okay and Truman gets the confirmation he wants from the Soviets that yes, they're going to join the Allies in their fight against Japan. But that said, the conference was somewhat disappointing to Truman, who in typical Truman fashion was incredibly prepared for the event. So day two comes And in Truman's mind, the whole event is kind of lackluster, and he's homesick. He wants to be home with his wife. He wants to see his daughter. But as David McCullough notes, in his Pulitzer Prize-winning work, Truman, the day was saved only by the party he gave that night, a banquet for Churchill and Stalin with music provided by a 27-year-old American concert pianist, Sergeant Eugene List, who was accompanied on the violin by private first class Stuart Cannon. Okay, so why does this party stand out? What made it so significant? I tell you this: it wasn't the gathering of the people who were there, although when you're talking Churchill and Stalin, that's a pretty heady group. What made it stand out was the guy who ended up turning the pages for the pianist list. Listen as McCullough recounts the event.
1: The two musicians, both in uniform, had been flown in from Paris at Truman's request. The grand piano had been moved on to the back porch overlooking the lake, where, after dinner, in the lingering light of the summer evening, the whole party gathered. At one point, Truman himself played Paderewski's Minuet in G., the piece Paderewski had demonstrated for him in Kansas City 45 years earlier. But the highlight was Sergeant List's performance of the Chopin Waltz in A Minor, Opus 42, which Truman had asked for specifically. List had not known the piece, nor had there been time to learn it. Later, in a letter to his wife, he described what happened when he asked if someone in the audience would be good enough to turn the pages of the music for him. A young captain in the party started toward the piano, mumbling something about not knowing how to read music, but that he would take a stab at it if I would tell him when to turn. Whereupon the president waved him aside with a sweeping gesture and volunteered to do the job himself. Just imagine. Well, you could have knocked me over with a toothpick. Thank goodness I was able to get through the waltz in creditable if not sensational manner despite the general excitement and the completely unexpected appearance of President Truman in the role of page turner. Imagine having the President of the United States turn pages for you. But that's the kind of man the President is. Now put yourself in the shoes of the young
0: pianist. Imagine. Having the president of the United States sitting right next to you, turning pages for you. And Truman could do it because he was quite a pianist himself. But List said this, but that's the kind of man the president is. And when you read McCullough's work, you see over and over and over again that Truman was the kind of leader who was not, capital N-O-T, not all full of himself. McCullough writes, Subordinates found him invariably cheerful and positive. He was never known to make a rude or inconsiderate remark or berate anyone or to appear the least out of sorts no matter how much stress he was under. Wow. Anybody checked the president's Twitter feed lately? Whew, quite a bit of difference there. From first to last, he remained entirely himself. And then Lieutenant Rigdon, the officer charged with keeping the daily log, he writes this, There was no pretense whatsoever about him floyd boring a member of the secret service said the great thing about the president was that he never got get this word swagly he never came on as being superior he could talk to anyone he could talk to the lowly peasant he could talk to the king of england and that was i think his secret he never got swell-headed he never got you know swagly and that was my aha moment today. Leaders don't get swaggly. They don't get swell-headed. One State Department official by the name of Emilio Collada noted, the fact of the matter is that Harry Truman was a very human man. You know, leaders can forget that. Not Truman. In the face of the two most powerful men on the planet, Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin, Truman was not embarrassed to lower himself, to turn pages for an unknown pianist. And why? Here's why. Because he wasn't swaggly. Jesus might as well have had don't be swaggly on his mind when looking down the road and seeing the cross that would be his said to his disciples. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones, they exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, in other words, he didn't come to be swaggly, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Great leaders? Great leaders are not swagly. They turn pages. And that's my thought on my walk with David McCullough and his Pulitzer Prize winning biography, Truman. Now the question is, what will you do with that thought on your walk through life today?